That's our brand new series. And so aren't you glad you came? Uh, to, uh, so the way we're, it's going to work out, it's like this. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to break down the entire series, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. The first week, this week, we're going to talk about love, where it comes from, where its power is, and, how, and what its definition is, love. And then we're going to talk about sex. That's going to be next week. And then the week after that, we're going to have two weeks of what's called lasting relationships. And we're going to talk about this sort of the, the mechanics, uh, the, 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 the practical how-tos of lasting relationships. So I don't want you to miss any one of those. Um, I want you to come to every one of those. So just go ahead and decide in your heart that you're going to come and, you know, laundry will have to be on Saturday rather than Sunday and shopping will have to be on Saturday rather than Sunday. But I encourage you to come. Uh, now, uh, we're going we're gonna to get right into the message, but as is our tradition, we're going to pray before, and I know we've done some praying already, but we're going to pray again because you can't pray too much. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to speak your word. And truthfully, truth be told, Lord, we just, this issue, this topic of love is a, it's, it's a bottomless pit. It's so profound. It's just beyond us. And so when we hear of you being loved, we're just blown away by what that means and, and how that applies. So Father, help us to Give us a, captivate us. Give us a, an idea of what that is, Lord, and help us to live that out. Lord, I pray for the, uh, the missionaries, the Christians, the followers of Christ around the world who are right now being beaten and tortured and imprisoned for their faith. The ones who are going through great, great turmoil simply because they congregate with a group of people much like this in a much smaller setting uh, and how they suffer for their walk in Christ. Lord, I know many of us won't ever know that kind of persecution, but I pray, O oh God, that we would be mindful of them, praying for them, asking for you to do a great and awesome work of encouragement in their souls. Encourage us as well, Lord. Help us to stand firm, for we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My, my end goal uh, by the end of this sermon is for you to be a better lover. That is my goal. That's my desire. Um, it's to perhaps see you be a better lover. Now, since it can't be what came into your mind uh, when I said that, uh, it has to be something else. Yes? Right? So uh, we're going to hopefully be able to... Sh- flesh that out, and teach what that's about. I want you to know that love, in its essence, begins and finds its origin with God. He is love. In fact, you can finish this uh, statement. See if you could finish this statement. God is love. Sure, everybody knows that. God is love. Love is not God. You do understand the difference, don't you? Those ooey-gooey feelings, those uh, emotions that you feel, we don't want to make... We don't want to make, uh, define love and then say, God, be like this. Because that's the last thing you want. You get a codependent God or you get a something other God. You don't want that God. No, no, love is not God, but God is in fact love. See, love comes from God. God is the source of love. Make sense? So um, this topic is so important because it's going to affect every area of your life. Listen, um, if you want to invite living 
hell into your life, marry the wrong person. Just if you want to invite a little bit of hell, just a little bit of hell, taste of hell into your life, get with the wrong person. In a minute, you'll understand what I mean. Why? Because let me tell you something. Relationships are very, very important. So the last thing we're going to do is start speaking on a series like Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships with your definition of love. We're going to look at what the Bible's definition of love is. And hopefully, from there, we'll be able to enter into our relationships with a totally new perspective, one that will be a blessing rather than be a taking. So, um, firstly, I want you to understand that love is the standard by which the Christian is known. Before I define what love is, I want you to know that it's the standard by which the Christian is known. Here's what I mean by this. In every religion, there is a standard by which you are known. So, for instance, if I am a Muslim... I have five pillars, right? The five pillars of Islam, right? So that I can compare and see, well, am I being a good Muslim? Well, let's look at the five pillars. And we would say, yay or nay, I'm not or I am being a good Muslim. If I'm a Buddhist, I have the eightfold path. Now, I can see if I'm being a good Buddhist if I just look at the list, the eightfold path, and be able to assess myself whether I'm being a good Buddhist. Muslim, how can I assess myself? Five pillars. Buddhist, how can I assess myself? Eightfold path. In Judaism, it's the Ten Commandments. I can reflect and assess whether I'm a good Jew if I just simply look at the Ten Commandments. Am I doing the Ten Commandments? There's an easy assessment. Listen to me. wonder if you know what the assessment is for the Christian. It's love. It's love. That is how the Christian is known. You can tell, you can tell the Jewish person by their kufi. You can tell the uh, Hindu person by their garb. You can tell the Christian by their love. That is the identifier. That is what makes you known to others. It's love. It's not a self-centered, needy, me-first love. That's not what we're talking about. It's a Christ-honoring, God-faming, Jesus-loving love that comes straight from him to us and through us. Interestingly enough, the Greek um, had four different uh, types of words for love. You had agape, you had eros, you had storge, you had phileo. Um, So they had a word for love that was like the unconditional love, the unconditional love of God. You and I don't have unconditional love. We generally have conditions for our love, although God calls us to have, to walk in unconditional love. I just haven't met many people like that. God is most perfectly presented in that. And then there's the phileo love. We get our English word from phileo. We get our English uh, word Philadelphia, right? City of what? brotherly love. Right, right, makes sense, right? So that's where we get that. So it's like that brotherly affection, right? That, that uh, famili- uh, brotherly affection, friendship. Um, then there's uh, eros. We get our English word from that, erotic, right? And that's more uh, uh, sexual love. Uh, but no matter which one that you use in these, they all have a different sort of twist on them. The problem is, in English, we only have one word for love. Love. That's it. 
And so, in the same breath, you can say, I love my children, and I love this suit, and no one bats an eye. No one thinks anything different, but there's a difference between me loving my suit and me loving my children, is there not? There's even a difference between me loving my children and me loving my wife. There are different nuances. And so, what we're going to do today is we're going to try to understand love on a deeper scale and see if God can't help us. We need uh, this to understand love. Otherwise, we will fall into the traps of what society would have for us when it comes to relationships and love. Now, I want to be very, very sensitive here because I know that some of you right now, right now, as I'm talking to you, you long for love so bad. Right now, you strive for love, you want love, you want to receive love, you want to be in a loving relationship, right now, you will compromise your principles, you will bend and bow, you will do what morally you know you ought not to do in the name of love. And so, I'm I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive here, and listen to me, me too, we all want to be loved, do we not? I want to be told I'm beautiful and have value and, and are worth something. I just don't want to sell my soul for the statement. And yet, I've been that way. So here's what I'm not talking about. Today, as I speak today, and you, I don't want you to use today's talk to manipulate yourself to stay in a sinful or broken or hurting or terrible relationship. Here's, here's, here's what I mean by this. When I say love, I don't mean your neediness. Here's what I mean. So, right, I'm a girl, I'm dating this guy, um, and we're going on, you know, we're going on for a while, and he goes outside of the relationship and then I go, well, I'm just going gonna to love him. That's not what love looks like. Listen to me. If he goes outside of the relationship while we're dating, what do you think he's going to do when we're married? Right? Just a little bit more of what he was doing while we were dating. And so what happens? Love is in that situation going, I love you so much. I just want to respect our relationship and say that we can't go on anymore. You've broken trust. And it's not a marriage. It's not like we've committed life together. I have good news. We can now leave one another and, you know, you know, sing Taylor Swift songs and, you know, and be okay with that, right? And so we can be all right. Here's what love is not at that point. Love is not going, okay, baby, I love you. Don't do it again. Does it again. Okay, baby, I love you. Do it again, don't do it. Don't do it again, does it again. See, there, there's a sickness in that. And there's, there's, there's something unhealthy in that. And some of you right now, you say it's love, but it's not. It's not. Here's what it is. It's need. See, I need somebody to tell me I'm beautiful. I need for somebody to tell me I'm valuable. I need for somebody to tell me that I'm worth it. And since I don't find my identity in Jesus, Jerry will do. And so I go, Jerry, I don't care. Listen to me. Uh, Verbally abuse me. Sexually go outside the relationship. Come back. Bring a disease. I don't care. But just tell me that I'm valuable. 
Tell me that I'm worth it. Tell me that I have. Tell me. Listen to me. Tell me what I can't tell myself. Because I don't love you. I need you. I'm using you. And this is not what I'm referring to. I'm not referring to that. That's not love. That's something else. That's something else. Other things that I'm not referring to is uh, when I say love, I'm not referring to manipulation. Do you understand what I mean by manipulation? I mean that I go into the situation with the relationship, I will love you, meaning I will meet your needs. I will give you what you ask me for. But this is not so much a love relationship as it is a negotiation. I will give you what you need only in so far as you provide for me what I need. And once that happens, once that stops happening rather, we have permission to leave. It is, by the way, what I just gave you is the definition of marriage in America. It's manipulation. It's, it's, it's not a covenant, it's contract. It's not a covenant, it's a contract. Do you understand the difference? A contract is, I have particular needs, desires, and wants that you promise to fulfill. If you cease to fulfill those promises, desires, and wants, then you are in breach of contract. I am now illegally uh, able to move outside of this relationship and go somewhere else. It's horrible. It's horrible. That's not, that's manipulation. That's contract. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, to be more clear, is a love that comes from God and gives him glory. Is a love that comes from God and fames him. Is a love that comes from God and looks like him. We're talking about the love that makes you look like Jesus. One of the things you'll discover uh, is if you have kids, I know this happens with my kids, I look at their baby pictures and I get them wrong all the time. In other words, I see my, one of my daughter's baby pictures and I see another daughter's baby pictures and I go, oh, this is daughter number one. And then they go, no, 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 that's daughter number three. I do it all the time. I even do it with my son. Like, you know, there'll be just a picture of a, a, a facial shot and they're all bald and they're all big fat-headed um, babies and all that other stuff. And I look at them and I go, oh, wow, I get confused. You know why? Because they have the family resemblance. Listen to me. In Christ, you got to have the family resemblance. And the family resemblance is not found in the color of eye or the tone of skin or the stature of body. The family resemblance is found in that you love like Jesus loved. Sacrificially, lovingly, brokenly, obediently. It's love. It's love. So today, in order to discover this most important thing, we're going to go to the Bible in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Now, we have a tradition here that we stand um, for the reading of God's word because he's holy and his word is so high and wonderful. So let's read God's word. Now, we're going to read this all together, okay? This is actually worth, for some of you, this is the first time you've ever read God's Word, and it's going to be wonderful. So I encourage you, read God's Word with me on the count of three. We're going to do it all together. You all set? You excited? 
Oh, you stink. All right, listen. Y'all set? You excited? Sure. Let's read it together. It's God's word. Okay, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1, 2, 3. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. May God bless the hearing, reading, and doing of his word. Have a seat. Dear friends, let us love one another. Now, uh, let's just go. Um, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Now, it's important to know that God doesn't just dispense love or just... Uh, uh, give love or share love or God is love. And to a certain degree, if you've ever experienced love, you've experienced God. It's called common grace. There's a, a specific grace and then there's a common grace. There's a particular grace and then there's a universal grace. Here's what I mean by common or universal and what I mean by uh, experiencing God, even if you don't know Jesus. And, I'm, and I mean that with the seatbelt. I don't, I don't mean that maybe what you might think. Here's what I mean. Who here is breathing? Raise your hand. Go ahead. All right. Okay, a few of you. Right? Some of you not so much. Okay, great. Now watch this. If you're breathing, you're experiencing common grace. You don't need to have surrendered your life to Jesus. You don't need to have... Uh, submitted your heart to Christ. Jesus doesn't have to be Lord in your life for you to be breathing. That's a common grace. You love God, you get to breathe. You don't love God, you get to breathe, right? You're a farmer and you're wicked and you have a farm, you know, right there and you're, you, you need rain and you're right down the road, you're another farmer, you love Jesus. It rains on both your, it rains on both your fields, right? That's called common grace, right? If you have another example of common grace, if you have a brain in your head, go ahead, raise your hand. All right, just a few of you, right? Just a few of you, right? Well, that's you. If you're in your right mind, you've experienced common grace. You've been given an intellect. You have reasonable sense of being in your right mind. These are all common graces. So this is, if you hate God, if you love God, God gives this. This is wonderful. It's common grace. But and then there's particular grace or universal, uh, uh, particular grace or specific grace. And what I mean by that is the kind of grace that God gives just to his people. God gives just to his people. So if you know Jesus and you're saved, that's a particular grace. You should get to know that. You know, uh, the wisdom that God gives by his Holy Spirit in certain instances and moments, that's particular, that's very specific. Here, John, the writer of this letter, is speaking to Christians. This is important to know, because some of the things that he's going to say here, if you don't know, 
that John is speaking to Christians, you'll confuse some things and you'll mistake the Bible to say things that it doesn't say. So whenever you read a, a book in the Bible, here's three questions you should ask. You should ask, who's writing? Who's he writing to? Why is he writing? Who's, whenever you pick up a book of the Bible, ask these three questions. Who's speaking? Who's he speaking to? Why is he speaking? Very, very important. Well, it's John. John the Apostle. Not John uh, the, bapt, uh, the Baptizer who got beheaded. This is John the Apostle, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. John is speaking, and he's speaking like a father to a church or churches. And he's communicating to them. uh, uh, Why is he writing? Because he wants them to know, now that you're in this new Christian walk, what are some practical things you can do? So he's assuming that they're already in Christ. And I'm assuming that as you're listening to this message, you're listening to it as a person who has submitted their lives to Christ. Now, if you haven't, then you get to listen and maybe even make a decision. You know what? I'm not sure I want to be a Christian. If that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm not sure I want to be that. And you have freedom to do that now. And if you listen to this message and you say, you know what, I think that's exactly where I want to go, then, then you have liberty to do that as well. But I, I just want you to share, this is, this is in the family kind of stuff. This is family stuff. So he says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, what John is not saying is that if you love people, you're a Christian. If you love people, then you're a Christian. That's not what John is saying. He's saying that the person who loves Christ will be identifiable by their love. Again, the, the, uh, the, the kufi for one particular religion, the garb, for another particular religion, the painting of the face for another particular religion. You know how you know a Christian? By love. Love. It's the unbelievable, lavish, outrageous love that they show with one another. Now, here's the deal. The test on whether you know someone or not is a Christian or not is by how well they love, especially the unlovely. So I have a question for you. How you doing on the exam? How's it going? How's the test? I'm talking about the unlovely. Those who are not necessarily easy for you to love. It's easy. The Bible says that even pagans love. How, how hard is it for me to love somebody who's doing everything I want them to do? Right? Oh my goodness. It's not hard at all. It's effortless. You'd have to be evil not to. Listen to me. We're not talking about that. The distinction of the Christian is how well they love the unlovely. How well they love those who are not being loving. I'm going to give you examples of what that looks like towards the end of the sermon. But listen to me. I need you to know that the distinctive that the way the world knows that you're a Christian, everybody I go to says, yeah, no, I believe in God, mostly everybody. And a great many of them would say, sure, I'm a Christian. But how are you doing on the test? Again, not that loving makes you Christians, but Christians have to be loving. 
They have to express love, and it looks differently in different circumstances. And so you can't just, again, you can't put your definition of love, give it back to God, and expect him to flex with your definition. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something much more profound. John opens it up and says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? See, okay. I love Jesus, but I hate my father. I, I, don't even know how to, I don't even know how to address that. Like, okay, I understand you're wounded. I understand that some terrible things happened. I understand that it was a horrible, you know, growing up situation. I understand that there was abuse. Yeah, 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 hear my story, me too. Listen to me. The Christian who says, I don't love, says, in essence, I don't know Christ. It's the very definition of a Christian. I don't even know what you're saying. It's like saying, um, I'm married to Liz, but we never see each other. Like, what are you saying? You're just, you know... To say that you, lo- that you know Christ and to say that you don't love is to say that you don't know Christ. Whoever does not love does not know God. Now watch this. Love looks different on many different circumstances. So I gave you an example, for instance, with the relationship of the person. You just started going out with the person and they, they're unfaithful. Love looks like we need to break this off. Love looks like in, with your children. So, right, so say, for instance, Junior's at home, right? Junior's at home, and, you know, good night, he's 37, right? Because they don't leave home anymore, right? Right? And so, Junior's 37, right? 37. And so, because now it's like the perpetual adolescence, right? Adolescence, right? You know, so it's like, and some of y'all aren't laughing, so I won't look at you. I understand, you're still home. All right, so, so you come to Junior, and you say this, and you say, Now, Junior, you're 37 years old, and I'm going to die soon. So I want you to grow in responsibility, so I'm going to give you six months. Six months, get a job, save up money, get your own place. It's the most loving thing you can do to baby Huey, right? It's the most loving thing you can do. Now, watch this. Now, watch this. I tell mothers this. And they look at me like I'm crazy. They look at me like a critic. I, I love my son. I can't throw him out. Are you crazy? I love him. And I, and I go, sweetie, you will. You will throw him out. Mothers have come up to me crying about their, their addicted sons or addicted daughters. I could never throw him out. I could never put him out on the street. I go, mamita, listen to me. You will. You will. I promise you will. And I'm telling you, this has happened hundreds of times. But here's how it's going to happen. You're not going to go, baby Huey, 37, leave. You're not going to do that. Here's what's going to happen. Your one pocketbook from being taken away from, that's it. 
I can't take it no more. Get the bleepity bloppy bleeping bleeping. And it's like all sorts of curse words. And then you, care, and then you kick them out. Here's what, I've, here's what I've learned. You will either love them or you will abuse them. That's what I've, I've discovered. The mother who says, I could never throw their kid out. I go, what's today's date? I go, I say in six months. I give you six months. Some, some others have an incredibly strong fortitude. I go, I give you two years. Two years. But let me tell you something. That no longer is love. That's something else. You know what it is? Mom gets her identity from being seen as a good mother. And that's why when Junior says, you're not a good mother, it kills her. Because she doesn't get her identity from Jesus. She gets identity from Junior saying that she's a good mother. Maybe she feels guilty. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was, I don't know what your situation or circumstances. I don't know you, but I know the situation. And so what happens is mom or dad feel guilty, and so they let them. And so it's not love. It's, it's manipulation. Rather than getting my identity from Christ. Love looks like in a relationship, you come and you, you know what, honey? There is something that we have to confront. There is an issue we have to address. Love doesn't say, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to bring anything up. I'm not going to confront. No, no, no. Love says, I love you so much. I'm not going to wait till I am an exploding, raving lunatic. We're going to talk about this before it has any emotional octane to it. Why? Because I love you. And I want us to communicate in a way that's respectful and honors Jesus. Does this make sense? And so what happens is, but to the person who finds their identity in that relationship, in that lover, the person who finds their identity, they won't bring it up. You know when they'll bring it up? When they can't take it anymore. And then the, 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 the person looks at you and says, you are out of your mind. All I did was I left the milk outside. And for you, it's not leaving the milk outside. It's four years of clothes and milk and all this other stuff. And now you're losing your mind. You're about to explode because you haven't loved that person all along. And let me just give you a, 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 a clue. Don't worship the people you date. In other words, don't, like, don't get your identity from them. Oh, if this person left me, I would die. If this person left me, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. And some of you, you don't even know that this is exactly what you're doing. You're like my mother with cigarettes. Years ago, my mother said, if cigarettes ever get to $2, I'm going to stop smoking. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember that? $2 a pack. Yeah, that's it. No more cigarette for me. It's like $37 a pack. And my mother still, like my mother... My mother works for Marlboro, right? And so, it's crazy. Why? And some of you are in a relationship just like that. Well, you know what? I, I don't get my identity in him. But, it, but anybody else looking outside the relationship, he goes, you, you, don't, you don't date him, you worship him. You don't date her, you worship her. And I get it. I understand. Listen to me. Because you don't get your identity from Christ. You get your identity from being called beautiful or being made to feel valuable or being made to be, you know, those feelings that they give you. So, Rather than getting that from Christ, you get it from the other person. Now, here's, here's what I want you to know. That which you idolize, you will eventually demonize. You know why? Because the relationship is no longer based on love. It's based on 
need. I don't love you. I need you. I need you to tell me I'm beautiful. I need you to tell me I'm valuable. I need you to tell me that I'm worth something. I need you to tell me that I look pretty in this dress or I look nice in this suit. I need you to tell me. I need you to do that. And because I am a bottomless pit, there is no amount of love that you could possibly give me to satisfy this bottomless pit of a heart that I have. So what happens? I ask for more, you give it more, I need more. So I ask for more, and you give more, and I need more. So what happens? I ask for more, you can't give any more, and now you are a dirty, filthy son of a gun. I thought you said you loved me. Listen, we're not talking about that. That is painful. That is terrible. That is not of God. We're also not talking about love. We're also not talking about love in a way that contradicts God's word. What we mean by that is that if, and, and so right, we're going to talk next week about sex. Come next week, so we're going to talk, we're going to talk about sex quite a bit next week. Um, so you want to come for that. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you're in a relationship, and the relationship is asking you to compromise a biblical standard in the name of love, it's no longer love. It's something else. It's something else. It's... It's a compromise. It's something else. I know, I know. I'm going to lower my standards. I'm going to lower my morals so that I can get you to stay with me. Most of the arguments that I get from people when it comes to this whole sex thing is, well, if I don't have sex with him, then he'll go outside and have sex with someone else. And my, my response to that is, you should let him go. No, really, listen, listen. Been with my wife for over 20 years. There are periods of time when you don't have sex. And if you have to fear, like this is just like, you know, this is just an ebb and flow of life. There are times when you're connected together and physically together and this is wonderful and it's all the time and it's great and everybody, and then there are dry seasons. Any married people say amen. Yeah, just a few of you. All right, some of y'all know. And so there are dry seasons. And if the only way you can keep them is by Oh, you are, you are in for such a painful ride. Oh, my. I feel, I just, I feel broken and sad for you because you're just going to have to perform more and more and more, and it'll never be enough. Again, we're talking bottomless pit here. And on that note, let's continue going. Verse 9, verses 9 through 10, we're going to look at towards the end of this relationship. And I can see that all of you are so deeply into this talk, so we're going to keep going. Verse 11, dear friends, jump to verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So God is where our source of love comes from. Because if you get my love, my love wears out. My love gets tired. My love is exhausted. But if God is my source, then I can love you when you're unlovely. I can love you when you don't deserve it. I can love you when you don't merit it, when you don't earn it, when you don't... I can love you. I can actually have love for a lifetime. If I love with God's love. 
Now, um, uh, Dave and Dot, they're a couple that came to our earlier service. I was actually able to point to them. They're an older couple. Now, they should be behind me right now. Dave and Dot, I love Dave and Dot. They've been married together for 52 years. 52 years. 52 years. Yeah, that's awesome. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. Wow. Right? 52 years, right? Think about this. Think about this. How much pain and difficulty do they have, do you think, in those 52 years? Oh, my. Oh, my. When the bills were due, when the finances weren't had, when the kids were acting crazy. When they, but they didn't, they didn't approach each other. Here's, here's what, and you, I love, you know what the thing I love about this picture? Her smile. Her smile. I want you to look at older uh, couples and see their smiles or their lack thereof. Listen to me. Dave, at one point, decided that she is too poor of fuel to be, to be the fuel for his love. So he decided, since you will disappoint me, you will let me down, you will not fulfill my needs, desires, and wants on occasion, because you can't be together for 52 years. Believe me. Trust me. You can't. Some of y'all can't be together for two months. <laughs> 52 years is a long time. 52 years. You can't do that consistently and just, and just feel emotively about that. He decided, no, no, no. Because Jesus loved me. He saved me. He pursued me. When I was his enemy, he became my friend. When I was desperately running from him, he ran towards me. When I turned my back on him, he turned to me. And so he goes, I'm going to love you with Jesus' love. And he loved her well. And she made a decision. You know what? You're entirely too needy for me. You're entirely too this and that and other. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rather get my identity my value, my worth, I'm going to get that from Jesus. And from that, she loved him. So when he, what? listen to me. So rather than, I'm going to love you until you stop giving me what I want, and then I have the permission to hit the eject button, which, by the way, is the definition of the American marriage. Rather than doing the American marriage, I'm going to do the Christ-centered marriage. I'm going to get my love from Jesus. Now listen to me. If you're single, you don't have to wait until you're married until you start practicing that love. That's the whole point. I want to help you to be a better lover. And it can start today. It can start as you walk down the street. It starts as you listen and you talk to your brothers and sisters right here in this community. And you start hearing for their needs and going, you know what? You know, and I'm going to meet your need. I'm going to love you well. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm not just going to feel feelings about you. I'm going to act towards you in a way that honors Jesus. They are my example because they first loved Jesus. And out of that overflow, we're able to love each other well for 52 years. If you want that, and it starts with loving Jesus. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, I want you to jump back. I said we were going to come back to this. I want you to jump back to verses 9 and 10. Now, uh, today is Communion Sunday. 
Does everybody have their uh, communion deals? Um, we have the bread and the, and the juice. It's a juice, not wine. Um, does everybody have it? Yeah, I need to. Um, so uh, if you have it, just hold on to it for a second. Listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. I, 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 we're, there, if you don't have it, we're going to pass it around. If you don't have it, go ahead and raise your hand. There's a few people who don't have it. Thanks. Okay, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Very, very important. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't submitted your heart to Christ, this is a great opportunity to do the very thing. But here's the gospel. I want you to hear it. The world would have you think, the world would have you believe, the world would have you... um, One more here, Chris. The world would have you accept that the things that we do throughout life aren't that bad. That's what we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves things, well, you didn't know any better. It's not that bad. You didn't, you didn't actually, you know, uh, you weren't accountable for that. That's what the world says. Here's what Christianity says. It's worse than you think. You're worse than you think. This is what Christianity says. Christianity looks at our sin and says, you're selfish and diabolical. You knew exactly that it was bad, but it was for your benefit, so you did it anyway, and you didn't care who you hurt. That's the truth about us. It's worse than you think. And you're more loved than you can imagine. Some of you... Some of us have been in relationships and there are certain segments of our lives where we don't feel we can share it because if we tell the people that this stuff, then they won't love us. Have you ever felt like that? If I tell you everything, then you won't love me? Jesus says, I know everything and it's worse than even you think. Even your greatest confession couldn't be as profound as what I know about you and I love you perfectly. Because it's not a need love. It's not a manipulation love. It's not, a, it's not any of that. It's a love that is perfect from God. This is the gospel. The gospel is that you're worse than you think and you're more loved than you can imagine. That you deserve sin, that sin, because of your sin, you deserve death and hell and separation from God. And we receive, listen to me, forgiveness and mercy and love. You know those moments in your life that are unbelievably shameful? Do you know what I'm talking about? The stuff that's in your closet that you won't ever let out, that you won't ever tell? You know the stuff that you're thinking about now, hoping that I can't read your mind? Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Imagine that being on the projection screen and God going, I knew that. And I love you more now than you could ever imagine. Imagine the dirtiest, filthiest moment of your life being washed clean. Imagine Jesus walking into the courtroom of your guilt and saying, I know that they're guilty, but I'll pay the penalty. Listen to me. Even if you don't believe that to be true, don't you wish it was? Isn't there something inside of you that says, you know what, I'm not sure if I believe that, but I want that. 
I don't want to walk around with the guilt and the shame. I don't want to walk around with that feeling of, of always feeling less than and being able to identify people by their shoes rather than looking at them in the eyes. I don't want to walk around with this sense of defeatedness and this sense, I don't want to, listen to me, you have a beautiful opportunity. The God who is love, God is love, extends his love to you in your worst state, says he'll cleanse away the guilt and the shame. Listen to me. He reaches down. He does the effort. He puts the desire in your heart. He draws you to himself. He pays the penalty for your sin. He loves you well. He calls you to himself. He does it all. Why wouldn't you respond to that? Love begins with God's love. And so we take communion. But before we take it, I want you to hear this. This is how God showed us, showed his love among us. This is how God showed his love among us. Look up at me. How could God possibly show his love among us? I know. He'll give us a Ferrari. This is how God showed his love among us. He, he winked at our sin and said, oh, it's not that bad. This is how God loved us. He ignored. He turned a blind eye to some of our endeavors. No, no, no. Listen to me. This is how God loved us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God saw us in our depraved, sinful, shame-filled, guilt-ridden state and says, I'll take that on. I'll take that on. Verse 10. This is love. Stop. What do you think God's going to say next? This is love. That you do everything that I say and then I'll like you a little bit. This is love that you perform, and if you don't perform right and you don't do 10 out of 10, then you lose a little bit. This is love. There's no grading on a curve here. Be perfect or be out. No, 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 no. That's not love. That's something else. That's religion. God says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. While we were still enemies, think about this for a second. I want you to think about this. The person that you love the most is on a bus. The person that you hate the most is on the same bus. Bus gets into an accident, tire blows out, it's teetering on the bridge. You have only one opportunity to run into that bus, and it's the person you love the most sitting next to the person that you hate the most, or that hates you the most, rather. You run in that bus, you only have one grab, and you grab the person that hates you the most out of there. And then you see the person that you love the most die. That is a perfect picture of what God has done for you. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. Not that we pursued God, but that God pursued us. Not that we were good. Listen, you can't be good for God, how silly is it for us to say we're good next to a holy, perfect, and pure God? You're not good. You're not good. Neither am I. 
Can, can we get that straight? You're not good. Neither am I. God reaches in and chooses the person that hates him the most and lets his son die. That is the picture of love that God wants you to see. That he chose you. He picked you. Listen, your parents might have had you by mistake, but it didn't take God by surprise. You might, your birth might have surprised your parents, but it didn't surprise God. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. God absolutely desired for you to be born, to love you, and for you to be in relationship with him. That's amazing. And he extends it to you right now. Listen, before we get into sex and lasting relationships, before we get into how to communicate with one another, before we get into the topics of what are the boundaries within a healthy relationship, we got to start with love. And the love that we start with is not our own. It's his. It's his. Not, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Your sins and mine, they need atoning, they need a sacrifice, and and God came himself. So, what does this look like? Because remember, at the the beginning of this, I told you I just wanted you to be a better lover. So, This week, I want you to be praying. I want you to be asking God. I want you to be saying, God, would you make me a better lover? At my workplace, where where a bunch of people are kind of doing their own thing, where they're all sort of looking out for themselves and they leave all the work to you, love isn't ignoring it. Love isn't doing it all. Uh, love isn't ignoring it and saying, oh, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to do it all. And love isn't confronting them uh, in, in a negative way, not in a negative way, but in a vile way, and saying, you know what, you guys are a piece of crap, and I can't believe, I'm going to tell, you know, and all this other stuff. You know what love is? Love says, we're a team. We've got to work together. This project is up to us, so we need to, you know. John, when can you get that report done by? Susie, when are you going to be able to, I'm going to do everything I can to get this project off the ground. You need to do your part. That's what love does. At home, when she comes home or he comes home and they've had a rough day and they've been battling traffic and, you know, the the professor wasn't very kind or the test was unfair or the boss was a mess, whatever it was, and they come home, you go, and they don't seem very lovely. You just go, oh, God, how can I serve you? How can I be a better lover? In this situation, your kids, they're going in the wrong direction. They're going in the exact opposite direction of what you want them to go and what you want them to do. And they go, hey, you know, can I can can you please uh, um, they come up to you and they say, can you please co-sign my nonsense? Can you please give me money so that I can continue sinning? Can you please uh, uh, um you know, just be codependent in this relationship. You say, I love you so much, but you're not a good mother. You know, that used to kill me, but right now my motherhood is not my identity. My identity is in Christ, and I need to love you enough not to help you hurt yourself. That's, that's love. I want you to be a better lover. I want, we all need to be. Better lovers, wherever circumstance you find yourself in. And being a better lover means as you're walking down the street and you see a homeless person and you go, oh, but I have no time. You just go, okay, listen, I can't give you money. 
if I give you money, I, I have a suspicion that you'll use it for bad things. But I'll buy you anything on the McDonald's meal. You know, you want a number seven, you want a number eight, you want a number two, I'll get you whatever you need. You want to supersize, I'll supersize it for you. Right? Right? So listen, listen to me. It takes more time. It's much more inconvenient. But listen, what's love? Love is that the one who loved, loved those who did not love perfectly. And that perfect one flows love out from us. And that's why, that's why Christians are so crazy about God. That's why Christians can't stop speaking about God. And that's why you have the opportunity today to come to Christ. So, with that, I say this. And in the Last Supper, Jesus took a piece of bread. We're going to have a moment where we reflect. Now, if you do not know Jesus, I know some of us grew up in a particular church and a church tradition, and we go, okay, well, we have to take it now. No, 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 listen to me. This is... This is only for the repentant Christ follower. Here's what I mean by that. If you're a Christ follower and you're blowing it like in four different places, right? You click on the wrong things. You say things in vile ways. You, you hurt people's feelings. You're manipulating this person. You're right. But you come to Christ and you say, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, Jesus. You know you've bought and paid for my soul. And just listen, listen, help Transform my heart. Let me be a better lover. Let me not be so self-centered, self-focused. Let me be not a lover of myself, but a lover of others. Make me a better lover. Jesus, do that in my heart. Change my life. I don't want to turn to that. I don't want to do that stuff that we talked about earlier. I don't want to do that. Then you should take in communion. You say, that's sin. And I'm not making excuses, and I'm not saying, but if they would have, or if she didn't, or if they had, I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm saying genuinely. That is all wrong. They have a part to play, but that's not the part I'm copping to. I'm, t- I'm copping to my part. And, and, and that, the way I treat them is wrong. Lord, change my heart. Then you partake in communion. You're a repentant Christ follower. If you're not a Christ follower, that means Jesus is not Lord. Jesus is not your identity. Jesus is not your love. Jesus is not the boss of your life. If Jesus is not that, then by all means, just enjoy, partake, and uh, what I mean by partake, I mean just enjoy, sit down, relax. This is just, but this is a part of, this is a family affair right now. This is family business. Now, if you don't know Christ and you don't have a moment in your life where you said, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, I want you to be the boss of my life, you can do that right now. We're going to give you a few seconds and just say, you know what, I agree with you. I agree with you that the things that I've done in the past, the things that I've acted on, the things that I've said, the things that I've did, those things, I agree with you. I'm a sinner and I've got no excuses and I've got no buts and I've got no whatever, whatever's. I've only have. Will you forgive me? He does. You can do that right now. And if you're broken about how your dealings with your loved ones, tell them, Jesus, I just want you to change that relationship. Help me to love them even when they're unlovely. You can partake. So, I'm going to give you a moment to do business with God. In about 30 seconds, we're going to take part of the communion. But right now, ask God to search your heart. It might be the only 30 seconds you get in a whole week of quiet. Have that. Have that time. No one moving around. 
just reflecting.